welcome my listeners to Voices of the Sacred Feminine, broadcasting across the globe for eight years now. I'm your host, Karen Tate, and I am so glad to be with you tonight. That cut opening tonight's show was Alea Deo, and it was her single, Awaken. And don't we wish the whole world would just awaken to all the things we know. Well, um, I will start tonight's show off uh, with a a heavy heart in some respect uh, as I share with you the passing of Dr. Masaru Emoto, the author of Messages from Water, who taught us how powerful our words and thoughts are as they could either turn water into beautiful crystals or putrid dreck. Through his work with the consciousness of water, he brought new understanding to the power of thought, vibration, and our collective influence on the quality of our lives and creation. He inspired us to have gratitude and see the hidden messages in water and influence the lives and minds of multitudes of beings and will continue to do so for many generations. He passed on October 17th, and thanks to Goddess Temple of Orange County, who shared this with the community, I have uh, these words here from his staff. They said, Dear friends of Masaru, early this morning, Masaru has passed away. His wife was with him. Since he became ill in Shanghai, he has received so much love and gratitude from his dear friends all over the world. He was very encouraged and happy to receive your kind messages with love. His last word was arigato, or thank you in Japanese. We believe his last word was to you, everybody. He was so grateful for you and thanked you all so very much. He used to say, life is love, which is a gift from God and parents, and death is gratitude for going to a new dimension. So now he is in another dimension and continues to look over us warmly with love and gratitude. We are going to carry on his mission of spreading the power of love and gratitude. We thank you very much for offering prayers for Dr. Emoto, and please send your love, light, and gratitude to him once again, which much, with much love and gratitude, the IHM staff. So we thank Dr. Emoto uh, and say your work will live on beyond your short life on Mother Earth. We are in gratitude. We are in gratitude. We are in gratitude for all the beauty of our lives. Well, I had a lot of fun the last few weeks uh, of the feminist fairy tales and goddess mythology trilogy, and it seems so appropriate to follow it up with tonight's show, Male Violence is the Worst Problem in the World, with my guest Elaine Trakowski, radical eco-feminist and environmentalist. After talking for three weeks to Charlene Spretnak, Barbara Walker, and Merlin Stone's partner, we delved into how the loss of our pre-patriarchal myths have distorted reality and caused so much suffering in the world, particularly to the earth and women. Tonight we bring things more into real time, if you will, and discuss the ethics of patriarchy, how it's being maintained by brute force, and how language even sanctifies it. We'll see how male speak is women's second language and show examples of various types of this male speak. I think you're going to be very surprised how even the most aware of those among us continue to perpetuate male speak. But first, a few things of interest uh, that set the tone for tonight's show. Uh, I'd like to read you this from Chalice and the Blade, and uh, I thank Susan 
from the Shakti Warrior Spirit Facebook uh, page uh, who posted this, and uh, I made me feel like I wanted to to read it. Uh, these are words from Chalice and the Blade, and uh, written by Rianne Eisler. Quote. Refugees were everywhere, fleeing their homelands, desperately searching for a haven, for a safe place to go. But there was no such place left in their new world, for this was now a world here, having violently deprived the goddess and the female half of humanity of all power. Gods and men of war ruled. It was a world in which the blade and not the chalice would henceforth be supreme, a world in which peace and harmony would be found only in the myths and legends of a long-lost past, unquote. And that sort of ties into this next little piece, uh, which was on the Internet October 19th, um, about Bolivia. Bolivia passes law of Mother Earth, which gives rights to our planet as a living system. The law of Mother Earth holds the land as sacred and holds it as a living system with rights to be protected from exploitation and creates 11 distinguished rights for the environment. It was passed by Bolivia's plurinational legislative assembly. The 10 article law is derived from the first part of a longer draft bill drafted and released by the Pact of Unity uh, on November 2010. Can we please spread this law? There has to be a way for the free market to inter- interoperate with reverence for this planet. Period. In accordance with the philosophy of Pachamama, it states, She is sacred, fertile, and the source of life that feeds and cares for all living things in her womb. She is permanent balance, harmony, and communication with the cosmos. She is comprised of all ecosystem and living beings and their self-organization. It makes world history. Earth is the mother of us all, said Vice President Alvaro Garcia Linera. It establishes a new relationship between man and nature, the constituent life systems, including human communities, which are entitled to, and here are the uh, the laws, they are entitled to life. It is the right to, uh, to the maintenance of the integrity of life systems and natural processes which sustain them, as well as the capacities and conditions for their renewal. We are entitled to the diversity of life. It is the right to the preservation of the differentiation and variety of beings that comprise Mother Earth without being genetically altered nor artificially modified in their structure in such a manner that threatens their existence, functioning, and future potential. We are entitled to water. It is the right of the preservation of the equality and composition of water to sustain life systems and their protection with regard to contamination for renewal of the life of Mother Earth and all its components. We are entitled to clean air. It is the right of the preservation of the quality and composition of air to sustain life systems and their protection with regards to contamination for renewal of the life of Mother Earth and all its components. We are entitled to equilibrium. It is the right to maintenance or restoration of the interrelation, interdependence, ability to complement and functionality of the components of Mother Earth in a balanced manner for the continuation of its cycles and the renewal of its vital processes. We are entitled to restoration. 
It is the right to the effective and opportune restoration of life systems affected by direct or indirect human activities. And finally, the last one, we are entitled to live free of contamination. It is the right for preservation of Mother Mother Earth and any of its components with regard to toxic and radioactive waste generated by human activities. Well, it would seem that our neighbors in the southern hemisphere, below the equator, they are the ones that are leading the way. We all know the abuse of the earth goes hand in hand with the abuse of women and the species on the planet. Might we soon see more shifting toward more protection and equality for our sisters on the planet? Well, maybe here is a little bit of hope from Michelle Ray. Uh, These are a few excerpts from her article titled, You Want More Women in Your Boardroom, published in the Globe and Mail. Michelle Ray says that uh, despite the mountain of evidence from reputable organizations worldwide demonstrating the return on investment of promoting women to leadership positions, many companies remain in a time warp, continuing to pay lip service to equality and gender diversity. A report called the Bridging, uh, Bridging the Gender Gap in Venture Capital, done by Babson College, based in Wells, uh, Wellesley, uh, Massachusetts, Maine, I'm sorry, found that in venture capital circles, women lose out. The report released last month found that only 2.7% of the 6,500 companies in the United States that received venture capital funding between 2011 and 2013 were headed by women. And those companies only received 3%, or $1.5 billion of the total $50 billion invested during that time frame. So how does one explain the fact that highly educated people who profess to understand the business case for women still just don't get it? She says, my recent encounters with several clients seeking to shift the gender imbalance within their team caused me to reflect on isolating the root causes of persistent gender inequality and highlight the consequences of inaction. In one instance, a senior vice president in the financial services sector told me that he shared news with his team regarding the promotion of one of his managers just prior to her taking maternity leave. Several managers questioned the timing and had difficulty accepting that she had earned the promotion. In another situation, a major retailer received feedback from both men and women in leadership positions expressing their concerns about their company's Women in Leadership initiative. Several female leaders said they were uncomfortable being singled out, while several men felt it was unfair that they were excluded from the group. In both examples, despite the best intentions of leaders, workplace tensions over gender issues have increased as the root causes aren't fully understood, leaving these organizations exposed to potential negative consequences to their bottom line and corporate image. Unfortunately, there are many similar scenarios playing out daily in industries worldwide. What lies beneath such reactions? Socialized conditioning is one explanation. We all learn to play specific roles from an early age and is a fact that these roles and stereotypes are internalized, reinforced, and perpetuated in subtle and not-so-subtle ways. As adults, we may inadvertently find ourselves defaulting to the girl-boy conditioned responses in the most sophisticated business settings without understanding that we are acting out roles learned in childhood. The persistence of gender biases, whether structural or attitudinal, need to be addressed for the following reasons. 
Number one, new generation of talented uh, of talent demands uh, equity and non-discrimination. And there's more to it, but I'm just going to read the uh, the points. Number two, uh, the female perspective enhances collective intelligence. Number three, second generation biases hinder career opportunities. Number four, more women in leadership boost your bottom line. Number five, governments are mandating gender equity legislation. Well, many governments, while many governments and business leaders agree that change is needed based on the reasons above, not all are in favor of the move, arguing that companies should either regulate themselves or insist the definition of equity be broader, of equality be broader. Canada would not be the first country to mandate gender equity for businesses. Norway took the lead in 2008. Iceland, Belgium, Italy, Spain, and the Netherlands were next. Malaysia and Brazil have implemented quotas, while Australia, Britain, and Sweden are advocating the firms voluntarily implement minimum female board appointments. Ready or not, agree or disagree, there is no doubt the debate will continue, and your organizations will ultimately determine by its own destiny when it comes to gaining the strategic advantage of gender equality. So here again, uh, the United States obviously lags behind everyone else. Finally, before we start tonight's interview, uh, I must repeat, if you live in the United States, please, please, please go out and vote next month, the first Tuesday of November, especially if you're in a red state dominated by Republicans, go out and vote those oppressors of women out of office. And be very careful you aren't accidentally casting your vote for a Republican. I've noticed what they've been doing here in California is not say in their television ads what party they belong to because being a Republican has become so toxic. They say a lot of empty words or pretty words that mean nothing as if they're moderate, so you don't really know where they stand. So try to take the time to look up these people before you vote for them so you know who you're actually voting for and what you're apt to get when they're in office. We can't afford to lose the Senate. We've seen the Republican We've seen what Republican-led state government has done across the country with stifling voter rights, with women's issues, with destroying the social safety net. There was a great Facebook post that said it all, really, and I thank Jenny for sending it to me. It said, screaming about Ebola when you cut funding for the Center for Disease Control is exactly like you're screaming about Benghazi when you're the ones who cut funding for embassy security. So lay that at their doorstep where it rightly goes. They never encounter a war they can't fund or tax loophole for the rich and powerful they can't manage to vote for. All the while, everything else goes to hell. Education, infrastructure, research and development, funding for veterans. I could go on and on. You know, you've heard me go on and on. We have to get these primitives and their handmaiden women out of office. We must turn the corner on a new future that's better for the most of us. We are interconnected. This is about the we and the us, not the select few these Republicans always look out for. So please, please go out and vote the Republicans out of office in November. I hear a lot of you don't even know there's an election. So please find out where to vote, what ID you need, and bring your friends. Literally, our very future depends on it. So remember the words of Louise M. Perre. The world is remade through the power of fierce women performing outrageous acts of creative rebellion and getting to the polls 
with all the voter ID laws and suppression might just take some creativity, women. But I know you're up to it. Stand up. Find your sacred roar. So um, I want you to stay with me after uh, my one guest interview tonight. I have some things to share later in the second half of the show. Some Bible morality from Barbara Walker. She sent it to me after our interview a couple weeks ago. A great blog by Trista Hendren, author of the Girl God series, who will be back with us next week. And some other stuff. So as you fold the laundry or do the dishes or put your feet up with your glass of wine, Whatever you're doing to multitask, as I know you're so good at doing out there, get settled in to listen to tonight's show and stay tuned in with me for the duration. So I want to thank uh, tonight's guest, Elaine Trukowski, for her patience uh, and introduce you to her by way of her bio, which I have right here. Well, I have it closed. Just a second. Ah, I think we're getting closer. Yeah, here we go. I had a lot of pages about tonight. So our our wonderful guest tonight, uh, Elaine Trukowski, she says she became an environmentalist in her 30s because of her concern for the living world. In her 40s, she learned from reading radical feminist books and from other radical women. Then she became a radical feminist. After reading books by Carol Adams about men's abuse of animals and women, such as The Pornography of Meat, uh, the Sexual Politics of Meat and Neither Man Nor Beast, and Susan Griffin's Women and Nature, The Roaring Inside Her, she then made the connection between men's linked abuses of women and nature. And now she is a radical ecofeminist. So, Elaine, welcome to the show. Hi, welcome. Thanks a lot for having me on your show. Well, we have a lot to talk about, and it seems like this kind of stuff has really been uh, rearing its ugly head in the news. We've had the uh, domestic violence stuff with the NFL. Um, I I wonder what uh, your thoughts were on that. Well, on on one hand, I'm glad it's being mentioned, even brought up, which is a step forward in the right direction, but then the use of the term domestic violence is male-speak or male violence against women in the home. And other examples of that are um, intimate partner violence, um, sexual violence, gender-based violence, family violence, and maybe even the word just violence. And it leaves out the word men. Right. This is a, yeah, this is a form of male speak called the absent reference. And, and this term was coined by Carol Adams when she wrote her books on the abuse of animals. Like we call, you know, pig flesh bacon and cow flesh, you know, beef, and baby bull flesh is veal, and so it separates the person from the being. It right, the right. Being it sort of candy it candy coats things, so we don't right. really look at things. Um, well, I remember discovering you in your writing out there when yet another woman had been killed by a man, and I think the news media was doing their usual thing, not naming the male violence. You know, they were saying things like, well, what's wrong with our culture that this could happen? When, you know, they should have been saying, what's wrong with some men in this culture? You know, and, and then I saw you write, um, naming male violence specifically is taboo. It's the vomit on the carpet that everyone steps around and ignores. Um, I can tell that, I mean, like me too, I mean, it just it makes me feel like my hair is on fire. 
it's very frustrating. Like once you become aware of male speak, it becomes fluorescent. It leaps out at you. But if you're not aware of it, it's a very, very subtle form of brainwashing. Like for instance, oh, the culture is so violent. Oh dear, what do we do about the system? And you know, the culture is made up of human beings and controlled by men. And so you can't really separate the culture from the men. Mostly what they try to do is cast the male violence against women as an aberration, the act of maybe a few violent men, but it's systemic, you know, it's part of the culture. Well, you know, we talked about with uh, Cheryl Spretnak, I think it was, on the show uh, a couple weeks ago. You know, this is sort of all tied in these last few weeks, if you've been listening. And, uh, you know, I hope listeners are connecting the dots, you know, and see how all of these shows are interrelated. You know, Charlene and I were talking about how in the myth of Demeter and Persephone, uh, the the patriarchal myth has Demeter being abducted and uh, and some say raped by, you know, Hades, where, you know, we believe the pre-patriarchal myth, well, Hades wasn't even in it, much less, you know, there being an assault and a rape. Or the, you know, the Garden of Eden, uh, you know, sto- uh, well, or, or look at the Zeus things, you know, where we have Zeus who's, you know, always going out there, uh, you know, uh, throwing himself at some mortal woman, making her pregnant. It's like all of these things sort of normalize assault of women as if it's the way it's always been and the way uh, to normally act in society. And, and Do you agree? Yes, and especially there's another, you know, huge form of brainwashing. You know, men have been unable to conquer all women even after 6,000 years of battery and rapes and murders. And so they all had to invent these gods that were violent and were patterned after violent men. And these so-called gods supposedly gave men the right to dominate women. And so if women are brought up in a male god culture, they not only fear the violent man who's in the home, they also have this fear this big eye in the sky watching them, this punishing god who will punish the women if they don't you know, obey the husband. So yeah, you know, it came in pretty handy before surveillance technology. Well, yeah, that's a good point, actually, you know, because we have the Garden of Eden. I started to go there before and then switched over to Zeus, but the Garden of Eden, you have Eve getting the blame for them being kicked out of the garden, uh, and forever women will suffer in childbirth, you know, and forever, you know, women are looked upon as the, uh, you know, the, you know the, the dirty woman who tempted man and, uh, you know, she is born from Adam, so she's subservient to him. And, you know, the whole story, which is, you know, all, you know, a patriarchal slant to sort of uh, subjugate the, the, the female gender below the male gender. And, it, and you know, so, it, so it's been going on, you know, since, biblical times and i I think people don't realize you know it's become so normal it's become so normal that we don't even see it when it's staring us in the face yeah it's hidden in plain sight you know like and even deeper the whole myth about the garden of eden what it does by blaming eve for what adam did okay eve supposedly ate the apple and then adam chose to eat the apple but, you know, the whole myth of blaming women, you know, it's, what it does for men is that it, it normalizes their choice to sink to the level of animals. It normalizes men's choice to surrender their free will 
and their self-awareness as human beings. And so what this leads to is always blaming women when men rape them because men cannot help it, you know, quote-unquote, because they're, they have an animal nature. They surrender their humanity and their free will. And so that's why, you know, you so often read about women being blamed when men rape them. Right. What was she wearing? Was she out too late? Was she flirting? You know, all of that kind of ridiculous stuff that takes the responsibility off the shoulders of men to act like reasonable adults in control of their own libidos. Yeah, and I I once was a volunteer for a battered women's shelter, and and the person, the woman who was teaching said, you know, the man will say, well, I was out of control, I was drunk, I was on drugs, that's why I did it. But they're remarkably in control in the presence of their bosses and probation officers. (laughs) You know? Well, yeah. these guys with bigger weapons. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, you know, last night I went to a talk that they had here in L.A. about um, ISIL and what's been what's going on in Islam. And uh, I have to admit, I I I, I thought of it too late. Uh, I I got my I, I I raised my hand and asked a question, but I didn't ask the right question. I asked, you know, they they were try- this this Turkish scholar was trying to help people understand who the people in ISIL were and um, that they have really sort of hijacked Islam. And, um, and and so when I raised my hand, I asked the question, I said, um, why are other you know Muslims in the area allowing them to hijack their religion if this isn't representative of Islam, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and really what I should have asked Elaine was, or, or, or used it as a platform to make a statement, I should have talked about male violence because they were talking about this as a, you know, a, uh, an aberration of Islam, when really this isn't really just an aberration of Islam. This is just patriarchy. This is just male domination that's been going on in Christianity, you know, Judaism. It goes on all around the world. It's not anything unique, really, is it? No, it, it sounds like they're doing the same tactic by casting the norm as an aberration, you know, and then especially the God thing. Men wrote all the scriptures of all the organized religions. So, quote, God's agenda is male's agenda. You know, and since the words of God are the words of men, men don't play God, they virtually are God. Here's some scriptures. Wives, submit yourselves unto your husband, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church. That's from Ephesians verse five, rather, chapter 5, verses 23 through 24. And then, I thank thee, O Lord, you have not created me a heathen, a slave, or a woman. That's the Orthodox Jewish prayer. And then there's another one. God formed her body to belong to a man, to happen to bear children. Let them bear children until they die of it. That's what Martin Luther said. Right. And then there's, there's the old Genesis. In pain shall you bear your children, yet your urge will be for your husband. That's in Genesis. And then here's the Quran. Your woman's a field to cultivate, so go to your fields as you will. You know. Yeah. So I found a nice quote by Barbara G. Walker who said, Women who deny the male God and reject his demands for obedience, praise, service, and money automatically free themselves from the potent psychological trap men set for them. Without God ordering them to obey abusive husbands, their shackles turn to sand. 
Right. The world's women reinstated a feminine divinity with her own authentic theology. Life on Earth would be quite different. You know, I every time I see some politician on television or some Republican woman in a commercial on television saying we don't need minimum wage laws, um, you know, and we know that women disproportionately are paid minimum wage jobs, which if we got rid of minimum wage laws, they would be paid even less. Yeah. Um, you know, it, 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 it feels like to me, well, you know, I, I guess I wonder. I wonder is it for them, is it all about business? Is it all about saving the corporation money? Or is it really about... Uh, if women made enough money, if they were paid equal to men, if uh, like Rianne Eisler, you know, talks about in um, you know some of these Scandinavian countries, you know, women even get something akin to Social Security, I think, for staying home to take care of children. I mean, if we had that, women wouldn't be so economically dependent and trapped in these horrible marriages. And I wonder if this is. I, I, well, going back to my question, I, I wonder if you have an opinion on is this all about saving corporations' money or is this really about keeping their boot on the neck of women so women don't have independence? Yeah, I think it's the boot on the neck because I have a quote here from Patriarchy at Work by Sylvia Walby, and she writes, System, systematic institutionalized male violence against women to be regarded as a patriarchal structure and not merely the acts of individual sick men. The state supports the use of violence against women both by its economic and welfare policies in which women are denied alternative economic support to a violent man and by the non-intervention of the police and the courts against this violence. And so, yeah, that goes hand in hand. Women have to have economic, you know, freedom before they can even have reproductive freedom because if they're stuck at home, then the man will forbid them, you know, to use birth control. So economics is the key. Right, right, right. And, well, you know, 70% of women retire in poverty after a lifetime of institutionalized discrimination in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, you know, how well-known that is. You know, I think I, I, think I heard uh, someone say that because of the lack of equal pay, it makes a difference in a woman by the end of her life at $400,000, right. you know. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, when you when you look at it like that, um, it it's just I, I I guess I wonder where are the women? Um, you know, why are we not out marching in the street? Um, you know, granted, maybe they're all busy working two minimum wage jobs, but you know, I, I guess I just wonder where 52 percent of the population, and I ask myself over and over and over again, why are the women so complacent? Yeah, I don't. Um, I, I don't really think that they're all complacent. It's just that we're all scattered to the four winds. We're all separate in the separate, you know, you know, family with the man and everything. And I've always wanted and hoped and wished that women could pool their resources, you know, and buy little, an, an apartment building or a house and share the housing and help themselves escape, you know, poverty, you know, and share all their social security. But it just seems like we're so divided against ourselves. We're just out there like little atoms floating around. Well, you know, sometimes I think that's part of patriarchal conditioning, too. You know, I think women have been taught to compete, you know, for husbands, for grades, 
you know, uh, you know, who looks the best? You know, it's it's this competition thing. And if we could somehow get beyond that, maybe we could start doing some of the things that you're you're talking about. You know, I, I know when I go out and give talks about partnership, you know, one of the things I say is, you know, women have to treat each other better. Uh, you know, women need to really empower one another rather than continuing to compete with one another. Because, you know, if we if women could figure out, uh, you know, how to have solidarity, boy, we could change this world in a few years. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't take long. I, I think a lot of it is we're just conditioned from birth, you know, to see ourselves through male's eyes. We're not even aware of our own selves. You know, yeah. We see ourselves through the eyes of the oppressor. Right. So I can't speak for all women, but I think this is a great, you know, it's a huge problem because we don't experience ourselves as ourselves because all our whole life is we're, we're, we're raised in this, in this toxic soup of patriarchy. Yeah, I mean, when we're young, you know, we're the nubile sex kitten, you know, to be available to men and be attractive, attractive to men sexually. And then we're the mother, you know, birthing babies and birthing babies, you know, so that they have you know, their their uh their their lineage to leave their assets to. Um and of course they don't have the queen in in that paradigm, in the patriarchal paradigm. So then we go right to crone when the when, you know, when we we're not sexual anymore and, and you know, aren't, you know, pretty and thin and uh you know and and, and we're not uh giving till we drop, then we're useless. Yeah, and it's terrible. Because it's just you know, we we can't see ourselves as we are, and it's just so. I mean, it's necessary for this to be repeated over and over and over again. Because if it stops for five minutes, I think women would just wake up and say, "Oh my God!" You know, I'm my yeah, and 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 you know, when I feel look, I I lived in the Christian bubble. Uh, and didn't know anything about this for the first 30 years of my life. And I woke up to this at around, you know, my early 30s. And so I'm, I'm, in it, I'm into it about 25 years now because, you know, I'm in my 50s. And I still know friends who live in the South, and, and I moved away from Louisiana, I'm in California now, who don't have a clue about any of this. You know, it's all about fashion and you know uh picking up the underwear and cooking the dinners and you know uh scrapbooking and being a dutiful little wife and you know I hope I don't sound like I'm rejecting being a homemaker because I'm not and and I'm not ragging on all men I mean I have a wonderful husband I've been married to for 30 years but you know I I I just sometimes get I almost more angry with the women because they just buy into all of these, um, you know, th- this patriarchal um, structure, you know, uh, trying to achieve some level of beauty that they can never achieve, you know, spending yeah. millions of dollars with plastic surgeons. It's just one one thing, you know. Thing after the other to keep us constantly distracted. You know, yeah, yeah, or, or or to look at or to look attractive, you know, uh, the Botox, uh, you know, the oh, shoes, horrible. the clothes, yeah. and then um, high heels, you know, the, the crippling shoes. Yeah, 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 exactly. And um, well, and and I think about um, you know going back to you said something a few minutes ago about the you know the culture that sort of encourages us to sweep this beneath the rug, and I was thinking about 
some of the things they were saying, uh, you know, some of the football players' wives uh, about how the NFL tried to just, you know, sweep this problem beneath the rug. And, you know, it made me think of O.J. Simpson and Nicole. I mean, how many times did she call the police and the police would show up and talk to O.J. about his football career while she's sitting there with a black eye? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like that, that quote that I read, you know, from, about the non-intervention of the law to protect women. It mostly protects men who batter women. Yeah. They get away yeah. with a lot of, you know, they get they they get either no jail sentences or far fewer jail sentences of women who fight back even in self-defense. So, I mean, the whole thing is in place to keep women down. Right. Right, right. And I think the positive thing is we have now we now have social media and we're just getting the word out about all these things that were previously invisible. Right. Well, and I hope you know I since the Ebola thing popped up on the news, I am not hearing much about the NFL, and I don't know whether I've just been busy or has it disappeared from the headlines. Do you know? I don't know. I think the Ebola thing could just be another distraction. You know, just like with the whole thing with um, back a few years ago, it was an anthrax, you know, and then before that it was something else, you know, the killer yeah. bees. And, you know what I mean? It's just ridiculous. Yeah. It just keeps us all distracted. Yeah, from terrorism. What really up to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, terrorism, the, the economic meltdown, the war. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's it's always something, uh, you know, to prevent us from focusing on the things that would really benefit us. Yeah, and all this tap dancing is around the fact that male violence is the worst problem in the world. Yeah. You know? And there's all these yeah. excuses. Well, not all men are violent. Women are violent, too. You know, violence is a human problem. There's always been patriarchy. There's never been any goddess societies. Men also rape men and boys. You know, what we resist persists. It just goes on and on. It's just a bunch of baloney. Oh, boys will be boys. You know, that's yeah. a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, anything yeah, boys will be boys. It. Yeah, anything to hide it and justify it, like the absent referent, you know, the domestic violence. Like so that. talk about what that is, the absent referent. It, it comes from Carol Adams. She coined that term in her books about the abuse of animals. Like I gave a few examples earlier, veal is baby bull flesh. Like you order veal, but you don't think about the baby bull. And then the absent referent would be, you know, violence against women, intimate partner violence, violence in the home, you know, gender-based violence, blah, 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 family violence, anything except male violence. So so I'm trying, so I guess what I'm trying to focus on is that really the definition in a way, because absent referent seems so... Um, you know, it, it, it's kind of hard to understand what that means. But in simple language, it's sort of a dis- it, it's sort of sugarcoating the real the real deal kind of a thing. Yeah, it, it doesn't even sugarcoat. What the absent referent is is a way to refer to something without naming it. And so okay. we don't need to sugarcoat it because you're not even naming the the baby calf or the cow or whatever or the battered woman. You know. Or, and then there's another good one that they use very often. It's called the passive voice. The the action is going is being done by the victim. Like for example, the male speak is the women were raped instead of active voice. The men raped the women. Ah. Uh. So, yeah. The passive voice is also a, an a, it also is, is a absent reference that doesn't name the men. 
And then another biggie is sex-neutral terms, which uses obfuscation to lump men and women together to hide male violence. Like, like, what are some examples of that? Oh, yeah. yeah, children, this I got from the newspaper, children are raping children because of seeing porn at a young age. And a radical feminist translation, translation would be boys are raping girls because of seeing porn at a young age. Yeah. See, it just totally hides it. And then well, there's in, another, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, do, do, you, do you think they conscious, do you think it's conscious or unconscious? It could be both by now, because when you're in a, taking a, a bunch of courses to be a journalist, you know, I read that a lot of journalists unconsciously self-censor. And maybe they're also immersed in male speak, because that's all they are exposed to. You know, and then there's a, like, like for instance, there's another good one, to give words volition and making words have the power to act. That's like the war broke out. You know, so the word war is just a bunch of syllables. It isn't a thing that breaks out. And when you translate it back from radical feminism, it reads, men decide to wage a war to kill the enemy. You know, you Right, know right, so right, right. So there's all kinds of male speak. It just goes on and on. And, like, um, I think what's important is my friend told me, she read this somewhere from a, 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 a feminist um, um, linguist that, Women all have a second language without ever having a first language. Unlike immigrants who have a native tongue and they move somewhere and then they must learn the second language. So women's second language is male speak without ever having women's language. Because we've been so conditioned to sort of, um, it, it's sort of like, you know, we're, prote- we're, we're protecting men. Um, we're insulating them from their own actions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unconsciously, many times. Because even well, radical feminist writings, they tiptoe around naming men as, as, as committing male violence. Well, you know, I, I wrote, um, you know, I, I, I was inspired by reading some of your stuff, um, uh, you know, when I, I made reference to it in the beginning, you know, when that girl was killed, and I started thinking about, you know, how when the media writes this stuff, they never name the men as the perpetrators. And mm-hmm. I started thinking maybe, well, not that I'm justifying it, but I was trying to understand it. And I thought, well, if you're a, a woman journalist and you start naming who the perpetrators are, in other words, if you stop, if you stop the male speak and you start talking about it's male violence, it's male rapists, then I wonder if they're afraid that they're suddenly going to be labeled, oh, you know, one of these horrible, angry feminist uh, women, you know, who the, the men haters. Do yeah. you think that's part of the reason why women just go along so they're not labeled, um, you know, the angry male, you know, man hater? I think in, in the world of journalism, it's supposed to be objective. That has a lot to do with it, too. But it, it it goes the whole far the other way where, you know, they just have ridiculous sentences where they just totally tiptoe around the male violence. And, yeah. you know, and I think here's um I have a quote, let's see if I can find it, by Mary Daly that says, you know, naming the atrocities is necessary for ending them. You just can't not name them. Like how, how far would Martin Luther King Jr. get if he didn't name racism? Right. He didn't just get out there and say, oh, some people are hurting other people. We have to stop that. You know, yeah. So it's just like the same thing with male speak, tiptoeing around male violence against women. Yeah. 
Yeah, so yeah, it, absolutely. Yeah. So it has um, to be named in order to isolate it and, and eradicate it. Well, and, and, you know, and I think, you know, all of us listening to this show, men and women alike, um, I, I think, you know, we should really take this seriously. And when we talk or when we write something, we should be cognizant of if we're accidentally falling into this pattern. And if we read something that some blogger wrote or some journalist wrote, I think we should hold their feet to the fire and send them comments and um you know, make them be accountable or, or at least raise awareness to what they're doing and it, it, if by some chance they're they're not aware. Yeah, and then a, a common, you know, tactic to shut women up when they name male violence is, oh, you're a man-hater, you know. Mm-hmm. But that's using also, and you know, obfuscation to blend many things together. You know, there's three types, there's three groups of men. There's the actively violent men who kill and rape women, and there's the large majority of men who are not violent, but they just sit around and allow male violence to continue. And then the third category are men who actively renounce patriarchy, but they use their unearned male privilege, you know, working in behalf of women. And so you can say, yeah, I hate men in category number one. I hate killers and rapists. And category number two, I just merely have contempt for them because they won't get up and they will not get up and stand up for women. But I do respect men in category number three who get out there and, and risk their lives and support women. Because yeah, our real they, allies. Yeah, yeah. They, what they do is they're risking them, their lives just like the abolitionists did, you know, who supported black people. The white yeah. supremacists came down on these guys and, and killed them. And so yeah. a man who supports women is in the same position as an abolitionist because he's, he's betrayed the brotherhood. And I think right. that cuts up a lot of men. Well, you know, I think, well, I I can sort of almost see a parallel to, um, say, for instance, progressive or moderate Christians who let the wackos sort of dominate the conversation, you know. They sort of just sit back and watch the show rather than... Uh, or, 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 or take the talk I was at last night. You know, the uh, the the Muslim people who are letting ISIL hijack their religion and give their religion a bad name. Um, you know, they seem to be um, talking a lot about it, but not really putting a whole heck of a lot of um, effort that um, that accomplishes anything. Uh, into stopping it, you know, whether whether we're talking about, you know, Christians or Muslims or Jews, uh, you know, when when they let extremists, you know, hijack their faith. It, it, in a way, it's, I mean, can it, do you think there's a parallel, this, this sort of um, apathy or complacency or fear? Well, maybe um, a lot of the people who don't come forward because they're afraid of being, you know, kicked out of the church. I mean, a lot of the, these people, you know, the church is their whole social life. And so I, I can't really speak for all of them, but I think they're afraid, um, some may be afraid to stick their neck out because they'll be, you know, ostracized by their other parishioners. You know, I have no idea knowing that. But a lot of these religions, the, the central facet of many of these male religions is a hatred of women. So... I can't really say, you know, to sure if you go back in time far enough where there were elements of Islam that were not so hateful because religions change over time. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah that's a yeah. hard question. I can't really answer that because everybody's different. So, true, yeah. true, and time periods are different too. I mean, mm-hmm. I I remember when the Muslim world was a bastion of learning and science, while the Europe was in the Dark Ages, thanks yeah, to they Christianity. Yeah, they around painting themselves blue and throwing rocks at each other, while you know the, the, the Islamic world in, invented astronomy and mathematics and algebra and everything. So right, yeah. exactly, exactly, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, not everybody even I think stops to think about that. Yeah. Um, well, you. You wrote to me in some of the talking points that the base, basic ethic of patriarchy is might makes right. Do you want mm-hmm. to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it's might makes right, and it's it's either, you know, when they can't brainwash people like with male speak or obeying God, you know, the punishing God, then the gloves come off. You know, then there's, then you know, we're living in a rape culture. You know, it's, that's just the way it is. Um, when I took the class in the women's in the women's shelter, the, the person who gave the presentation said that rapists are the shock troops and batterers are the occupying forces. You know, it's like we're in a war zone. We're in occupied territory because you know feminism definitely is not over. If feminism, if feminism was not needed, women could walk anywhere day or night without the possibility of male rape. Right. So well, and I think have, yeah. I think the statistics are it's either two or three out of five women in their lifetime will be penetrated um, without their consent. Right. And it, it was just a few months ago, Jimmy Carter, heaven, heaven, um, you know, thank him. I mean, bless his heart. Um, he was out there. Uh, I, I couldn't believe on David Letterman. He actually started going into detail about fem, uh, female genital mutilation, and he was talking about how it's on the college campuses and are in in the military that women suffer the most. God, yeah, yeah. I mean, some of these. Well, the military is a traditionally male operation, and they don't want they don't want women barging in. And then the, the fact that women are still having to worry about being, you know, assaulted but, and they're under brute force. Here's a quote by Robin Morgan. He said, the majority of the population in all nation states is female and are forced by patriarchy to obey, to be silent, to acquiesce, which means democracy does not yet exist anywhere. So it has never been democracy because the other half of the human race hasn't had democracy. Right, right, exactly. I mean, shoot, it wasn't, uh, I, I think it was last year sometime, one of these uh, old fogey, uh, gray-haired, white uh, white male Republicans actually got caught on tape saying he so regretted the day women ever got the vote. <laughs> I know, isn't that incredible? It, it yeah. is. <laughs> and, and to think that somebody's not going to hear him say it, too, you know. I know, but they just go out and shoot their mouths off like they're not even aware. I mean, you must be living in the dark ages or something. God. Right. Well, <laughs> and you know, Elaine, another thing that gets me, and I think this is another conditioning thing. You know, when um, when two women are fighting over some philandering man, you know, whether it's the wife and the mistress or, or two girlfriends or whatever, you notice they always go at each other rather than blaming the guy for being a two-timer. I know, that's really disgusting because they're after the booby prize. I guess since a lot of women need the, the, the um, need a man to help survive, you know, if a woman comes along and tries to, quote, steal her man, it's a threat. 
And yeah. So you have to fight and, and get your man back because you don't have enough money to make it on your own. It's like an economic thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I know recently there was some stuff in the news about young women don't want to be called feminists because they think it's, you know, it, it's divisive and feminists are victims and, uh, you know, they're just angry all the time. You know, I don't, I don't know about you, but I think if if you know about all of this stuff, how can you not be angry? What's wrong with being yeah, angry about angry. this? <laughs> I know. If somebody puts their boot in your face, you're supposed to get angry, you know. But, you know, so, I, I think that goes back to, I know when I was raised in the South, women were not supposed to get angry. You know, that mm-hmm. wasn't ladylike. You yeah, it's had not to ladylike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, heard that when I was brought up in New York, and I heard the same thing. You know, it's, it's to divert that rage, you know, to make us swallow our righteous rage of being treated like a bunch of garbage. You know, right. it's not polite to rise up and say, hey, I'm a person. You can't do that. That's not right. really right. Right, yeah, yeah, right. It's what they do with the slaves. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and, you know, in, in, in this whole talk, you know, I can't help but think about uh, the poor women in burkas. I mean, oh, we have it. You know, we're we're fighting our fights here, obviously. You know, with domestic violence. You know, Republicans wanting to stop abortion and contraception and these personhood amendments and all of this stuff. But I can't even imagine what it must be like for for women in burkas can't even go out without a male escort. Um, I mean, is is there anything that 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 you can point to? Um, you know, with regard to what we're talking about, that the male speak and all of that is, I mean, it's, I would imagine it's got to even be worse for them. Yeah, it's horrible because in some of these countries, I think Iraq was one, you know, like 30, 40 years ago, women could work and, and wear, you know, Western-type clothing and not need a man. And these, these Taliban, you know, you know, these extremists dragged them back into the medieval days where they even have to paint the windows black because they don't want anybody looking in to see their women. I mean, it must be horrible. There was a huge increase in suicide over there. I mean, I really, the the thing that we could do to help them, there was a group called um, Dining for Women, and it's it's not a regular group. You just get your friends together and have a women's potluck, and then the money that you would have spent at the restaurant, everybody writes a check to their favorite international women's group and male Ah. you know. So that, that, that would be one a, way to help. Yeah, that would be a good idea. Um, and our, our dollars go a lot far further over there. You know, if you get a bunch of, like, ten women up and each one gives, like, ten dollars, you got a hundred dollars to, to send, you know, to the women's groups that help women, you know, in these in these patriarchal countries. Yeah, because I... I mean, it, it's got to be bad enough if you are born into it. But like you said, if you once had freedom and suddenly all of it is snatched from you, um, yeah. I mean, you're you're literally living in a prison. Mhm. Yeah, I just don't get, you know, these men's problems with women. You know, I guess they, they treat us like wild animals in a cage, and that they that they must fear us so much they have to lock us up and do all these laws against us. They treat us like lions in a cage. You know, well, you know, I, I, I'm not a sociologist, so I'm just speaking as a normal person here. But sometimes I wonder if that fear isn't because they really feel so inadequate that if they didn't, 
you know, have to hold a woman by force or totally dominate her. I mean, if she really got an education, if she really had her own money, she, you know, maybe this, these men think that they wouldn't be able to have or keep a woman. You know, really, maybe they think that, you know, maybe their self-esteem and self-worth is so low, they think that that's the only way they would have a woman. I know. So, and the, the, these really extreme ones, you know, if I can't have her, nobody can, you know. And then when a woman leaves home, that's when a lot of these guys stalk and kill them. Yeah, I've 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 heard that when a woman really looks, you know, sort starts to seriously try to leave one of these domestic violence situations, that's when she's in the most danger. Yeah, and it, it, it's so sick because the relationship isn't based on you know love; it's based on master slave. You know, it's just horrible. Yeah, and and I. You know, the guy last night who was talking about, you know, how do we change what's happening in the Middle East, um, you know, he was a scholar, and, and uh, you know, and, and I, don't, I, I, I certainly am not well-versed on that whole situation over there to dispute what he says, but, uh, you know, he was saying, you know, education, 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 and uh, to, to some degree, you know, I, I think that's right. You know, if if we could stop teaching people what the Bible says, you know, and just taught people what, uh, you know, about human rights, you know, and, and ethics and morality and justice and equality, it's almost as if, um, I, it, you know, it feels like to me in some cases secularism would be a better thing to teach than than some religions. Yeah, because all the religions... You know, except, you know, God is faith from way back. The modern religions are all male-dominant. And there is a group called Bat Shalom, which is made up of Palestinian and Israeli women, and they're just saying flat out, you know, you guys ought to just butt out and let women run things because you've been screwing up for a long time. Well, you know, speaking of that, I was going to share this later, but um, I'll, I'll share it now. Uh, there was a group called Women at the Wall. Now, that's not the group you just said, is it? No, that's a different group. Well, there's a, a group called Women at the Wall um, th- uh, that have been purchasing ads uh, that they've uh, put up on buses. Well, here, let me just read it. Ultra-Orthodox Jews in Jerusalem attacked buses Monday night because they bore ads encouraging women to pray at the Western Wall. About 50 men slashed tires and threw stones at buses, according to police spokesman Mickey Rosenfield. Women of the Wall, a group that encourages gender equality at the Jewish holy site, sponsored the advertisements. The pictures featured women wearing prayer shawls and holding Torah scrolls, which ultra-Orthodox Jews believe is a right reserved only for men. Video footage showed and the obscene pictures spray-painted on the buses. Since Women of the Wall launched the campaign on October 12th, half of their ads have been defaced. This is only about gender roles and discrimination against women and the image of women, said Women of the Wall spokeswoman. If those were boys in the ads, this would not be a news story. Yeah, so, it's, it's, you know, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, we think it's just, you know, uh, Islam is barbaric and backwards, but, you know, it's it's uh, it's Judaism and Christianity, too. I mean... Yeah, you just scratch the surface and you get male hatred of women. You know, I mean, if anything, it, it's terrible what they did to the ads on the buses, but it did, you know, 
you know, and make and made the mask slip, and these guys reveal themselves for what they are. You know, like absolutely. I, you know, I've always thought to myself that, you know, women need a war memorial of all the women that men killed in the men's war against women. And if you built one of those, it'd probably take about ten seconds before they either blew it up or defaced it. And it would probably be as long as the Great Wall of China. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh God, yeah, yeah. Because there was a, a, a woman blogger, <clears throat> excuse me, wrote an article about that. It's called "Lest We Forget." You know, it's using the words from remembering the, the unknown soldier and the soldiers that died in all these wars, and she wrote that, you know, some women were at the back of a memorial and they placed wreaths, you know, in, in memorial to all the women that died in the war and they were just totally attacked and kicked out by the men. Mm. It was like they weren't even allowed to mourn their own. Well, you know, I was thinking about, um, uh, oh, what do you call it, when all the witches were burned, the... Um, yeah, burning times. Burning times. Mm-hmm. Um, and and maybe that's another example of male speak because wouldn't the burning times look? I I know gays, you know, gays and Jews and uh, other groups besides women were targeted, but it's only, it almost feels to me that the Inquisition was a gender genocide. Mm-hmm. It, and I don't know if that's overstating it, but. Um, it, you know, I, I wonder, you know, if I don't know if there are actually statistics, but I, my impression is that the women that died in the Inquisition were probably, there were probably far more women than, say, men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's another, you know, form of male speak, you know, using gender neutral terms to describe, you know, the burning times, which was actually the a Holocaust, the women's Holocaust. Yeah. Men were, were men were murdered during that also, and gay men especially, but it was overwhelmingly women. And so just the fact that a few men were also killed, they dilute the whole thing to where it was mainly male violence against women. They killed these women off, they burnt their houses down and, and stole their property and confiscated the property for them to enrich the church. Is this illegal? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, this is not to take away from um, the the genocides that we hear about in the newspapers under Pol Pot in the Middle East, and rather the Far East, and the Jewish Holocaust. We hear about that, but we rarely, if ever, hear about the women's Holocaust. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it, it needs to be, you know, lest we forget, you know. And the article called "Lest We Forget." On the he writes the first paragraph. He says, one thing that distinguishes human animals from non-humans is death rituals and ceremonies. One thing that made me a feminist was a complete lack of human respect for women's systemic ritualized rape death. In the early 80s, I went to the Women's Rape and War Memorial. I was young. I had no idea the scale of the hatred and violence which could be directed at us who marched way back at the end of the military parade just to lay a wreath on the war in memory of our own dead and injured. So they were just harassed just from remembering their own. Right, right. Well, you know, you uh, you have an, another example of male speak here. I don't. I, I you may may have said it, but I don't recall. And I want to sort of punctuate it. You said the women's movement, 
that this is male speak for women's liberation because we forget that um, this is about trying to set women free. You know, mm-hmm. we sort of play that down like, you know, we're trying to get something that we're not entitled to, you know, right. when actually we're, we're just trying to get the freedom to have equality. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's called erasing and or watering down women's words. See, women's words, women invented the term women's liberation, but male speak just calls it the women's movement. So that what that does is erases liberation, which erases the whole idea that we need liberating. And it doesn't no longer it no longer begs the question who we need liberating from, which which is men. Right. They, right. Even, they even worse now they call it gender studies, formerly women's studies. It erases yeah. women and liberation. So I mean this is the men run the media and you know, this is not accidental. Well, in speaking of that, um, I read somewhere that, you know, back when I was uh, promoting my first or second book, I can't remember, so that was like maybe around 2006, 2007, um, I was trying to pitch articles for magazines, and because my my content mentioned patriarchy, I was told I would never get anything published because they just don't want to see that in print. You know, yeah, it's, it's taboo. Yeah, it's taboo. It's taboo. Mm-hmm. And 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 I look. I even know when I go out and talk about this stuff, I can see eyes roll. You know, it's like, oh, here we go. You know, oh, the angry women. Oh dear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's and and I and again, I think I get even more angry when women support their the you know when they're complicit in their own oppression. Um, you know, and, and I realize I, I realize in some cases it's economic, and I totally get that. My mother stayed with my dad, who was a drunk, and beat her up um, because, you know, she didn't feel like she could go out and support the family and walk away. I, I get that. But for women who can make it, um, God, they... they <laughs> I, it, I it, it 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 just it gets me it makes me a little crazy when you know they vote against their economic interest and they you know perpetuate this uh you know this this male domination you know cuz i i do think some women would be happier um in the back seat so to speak you know and that's okay you know if they want to be in the back seat if they don't want to take on a mantle of leadership that should be their right you know just like i think it's okay if a woman wants to stay home and be a a, a homemaker rather than go out into the to the workforce but the problem is women are forced into roles that they don't want to you, you want to be in you know they're forced to be in the back seat when they'd really rather be in the front seat in partnership and inequality yeah it's a it's economic house arrest um yeah i have a, a paragraph here from margaret atwood's book the robber bride and it's called male fantasies male fantasies everything is run by male fantasies up on a pedestal or down on your knees it's all a male fantasy that you're strong enough to take what they dish out or you're too weak to do anything about it. Even pretending you aren't catering to male fantasies is a male fantasy. Pretending you're unseen, pretending you have a life of your own, that you can wash your feet and comb your hair, unconscious of the ever-present watcher looking through the keyhole, peering through the keyhole in your own head, nowhere else. You are a woman with a man inside watching a woman. You are your own voyeur. 
And that really gives me the creeps because it's about women raised in the patriarchy and they're seeing themselves through males' eyes. They don't even know themselves. Yeah. Yeah, that, that... Yeah. So it takes a lot of courage to wake up from that. Well, it does. You know, I was teaching a class, um, you you might know it, it's the Unitarian Universalist Women's Cake for the Queen of Heaven uh, class. And some of this stuff came out. And um, at the break, I caught one of the women, um, she was crying. She was over off to the side. Uh, She was crying. I didn't know her very well. And I went over to try to comfort her and see, you know, how she was, what was going on in her head. And uh, she looked at me and she said, Karen, I appreciate that you're teaching this class, but she said, I don't think I can come back. And I said, why? And I, I said, are you not enjoying it? You know, are you not getting anything out of it? And she said, no, 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 it's not that. It's just the opposite. She said, um, this just reminds me that I really, I, you know, how, how messed up my life is. And uh, she said, if I keep taking these classes, I'm going to be forced to change my life, and I'm not in a position to do that right now. She said, so I think I need to just back away for now, and maybe I can come back to all this later. Yeah, all that knowledge would be painful if you can't do anything about it right away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that, uh, That was really... Um, it, you know, that was a learning moment, uh, you know, a real learning moment for me, um, you know, because, I, you know, religion never sunk its teeth into me, and I have a good husband, and I never suffered like some of these women suffer. And, you know, sometimes maybe I sound a little cavalier about find your sacred roar, empower yourself, when, you know, it, it's really, you know, for some women it's, it's, it's more difficult than for others. Yeah, I mean, plus we're so isolated. That's that's why my hope is that, you know, we're on Facebook and we have social media and we can communicate, you know, from to women all over the world and all over the country. We're no longer standing on a corner trying to hand out leaflets, you know. So, you know, there's also a passage that Sonia Johnson wrote called The Bursting of the Files. It's a chapter from her book, From Housewives to Heretics, One Woman's Struggle for Equal Rights, and her excommunication from the Mormon from the Mormon Church. So I'll just paraphrase this. You, generally, the article is about like all day and all night, our minds are picking up messages from the patriarchy and they're filing them away in our underground subconscious with all these file cabinets are. Women are not this. Women are that. Do this. Do that. All these you know abuses. And then she writes, one day the cabinet's just going to blow up and you just can't deny it anymore. Like the last sentence goes, the woman who faces the contents of her file chooses the way to health, inner strength, and peace. These women who are multiplying until one day she will fill the earth with a threat to patriarchy because she has faced and accepted the great secret whose discovery is taboo, that women are oppressed and have been since the dawn of history. Depressed women, women with psychological illnesses, backaches, headaches, chronic fatigue, these women are still acceptable to their institutions. And so they haven't, you know, their files haven't burst yet. They're just kind of dragged down. But there come a day where you just can't take it anymore, and that's it. You're just forced to look at it. So right. the woman that you were talking to was upset. I think she was just on the verge of her file bursting open. Yeah. 
Well, and and I think some, you know, I I think women have to really start using critical thinking too. And you know, and I say that because I have a dear friend who still lives in Louisiana, and she watches Fox News, and she thinks Bill O'Reilly's great, and she's not a stupid woman. She's a good woman, but she, you know, it's it's this conditioning. And she, you know, thinks, you know, Bill O'Reilly knows what he's talking about when he says stuff that he says, you know, and I know he's one of these ones who, you know, will often be caught, you know, when something happens to a woman, he'll say, well, what was she wearing kind of a thing. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. I've, uh-huh. I've, I've, I've heard him, you know. And um, she came, my friend came to visit me um, last year, and we started to talk about some of these things. And, and, she, and she said, you know, Karen, I just hadn't ever thought about it the way you're putting it to me, you know. And, and I think it's really hard when women live in a bubble where they don't hear women like you and I talking about these things. I think we sort of assume that we're penetrating the bubble and you know it, but i think maybe a lot of women never get to the point where they hear this perspective yeah i, I kind of have an optimistic view of that like once you say something to a person who's in the bubble they might reject it outright but it's still there in the back of their mind and when enough of things happen in their life you know that makes it plain what you've said you know, their internal files will burst and it will become, you know, evident. So right. Even if they blow it off and say, nah, that's not true, men are really nice and I love my patriarch, is great, and blah, you know, there's going to be a time where they go, oh, uh-oh, you know, and then that's the painful awakening. That's when you got to change your life. Right, right, uh, right. But I am positive that, you know, when you talk to people, just tell them a bunch of, you know, things that you know, and, you know, it's always there in the back of the women's mind, and they can just act on it later on. Because it's better than yeah. not saying anything at all. You know, to be, look at all the biblical commands for women to be silent, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to actually read some of them um, in the second part of the show that uh, uh, Barbara Walker sent on slavery, rape, killing, you know, all the stuff in the in the Bible. I mean, really, when you think about it, for somebody to follow the Bible, um, they, they'd have to be demented, I mean, I I know that that might sound harsh, (laughs) but, you know, I mean, that whole, you know, that that whole uh, biblical God, you know, he's sort of a a crazy, warmongering schizophrenic, and the stuff that he tells his people to do, you know, um, (laughs) you you would have to really have something wrong with you. It's incredulous. Uh, I mean, it's the ethics of ancient desert savages with this bloodthirsty God who wants sacrifices, who sends his own son down to get sacrificed in exchange for not burning us forever in hell. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah, talk talk about, um, you know, talk about a violent, uh, you know, again, you know, the the male violent culture. A dysfunctional Um, parent. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, and and again, I'll remind listeners, you know, to go back and listen to some of the last few shows because we were talking about the the pre-patriarchal myth of Pandora versus the patriarchal myth of Pandora, you know, blaming women for all the ills of the world. Um, You know, I I just, I I, I can't, you know, um, stress enough how important it is that we look at these pre-patriarchal myths and and just uh, and if those are the ones that we could start teaching our children if you know more people knew about those this 
patriarchy would not have been able to survive. Patriarchy would dissolve if people started saying, you know, it hasn't always been like this. There are other stories. We do have other options. You know, yeah, we don't mm-hmm. have to tolerate this uh, this normal that you want to shove down our throat that's really abnormal. Yeah, that's another way that, that really holds it in place. Oh, that's the way it always was. There's always been patriarchy. There's never been goddess cultures. You know, they, they completely buried women's history, and they started with, you know, 6,000 years ago with um, men's history, which is history, you know. There's a website by Max Dashu that she delves into women's history, and this is her life's work. She has just 15,000 slides, and she's digitizing them right now. And her website is, is, I don't know if we can drop this down, it's www.suppresshistories, one word, .net. And you go on there and she has thousands of photos and prints of ancient women, you know, drumming and, you know, the, the costumes that they created, the weaving, the high culture, African women now and then, women from all over the world, just a wealth of women's history. Right. Listeners, if you didn't catch that website, just Google Max Dashu, D-A-S-H-U. Yeah, she's, uh, she's been on the show a few times. She's an incredible mm-hmm. uh, wealth of, of information. Yeah, she, she has the suppressed women's archives. Right, yeah, uh, that's it. I mean, that's, that's who we are. That's our history, and it's been buried, you know. That's yeah. the way it is. It's always been that way, blah, blah, blah. I think that's why they're against the, um, the conservatives are against evolution, because it implies change. Well, and, and, and think about it, Elaine. Um, even if, it, even though we know it's not true, but even if it had always been this way, does that mean we have to continue to act so crazy? I mean, that's yeah. as if that's as if saying, you know, we can't evolve, we can't learn. You know, right. we are we're stuck in a rut, and you know, we're destined to be um, primitives. Our entire life, you know. I mean, yeah, what, they, I know. That's, and that's, they you know, what kind of a sentence, you know, is that? Yeah. I mean, it, it, that that says humanity can evolve, and um, that's what they that's, want, I guess. <laughs> well, if, yeah. if, if if they're benefiting <laughs> from the way things are, you know. Yeah, it, it's tradition. It's the status quo. Which is tradition. Well, in in the idea of the people who are benefiting from things the way they are, which includes some women, I think that's part of why some women don't fight this is because they got it okay. Uh, Why rock the boat? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they benefit from this in some way, you know. And there's another dynamic. It's like if a woman is harassed sexually by the boss and she raises an uproar about it, the other women will distance themselves from her because they're afraid that, you know, the punishment from the boss will come down on all of them. And this yeah. is what they do to guys in the army. If one guy messes up, the whole group gets punished. So that's how they keep it together. Well, I tell you, we can do better than this. Yeah. Well, Elaine, <laughs> I, I am I am so glad you came on the show to talk about all of this. I think this was a great show after the, uh, the last few, you know, feminist fairy tales and you know, goddess mythology. I mean, this all all of these dots connect. So, um, before I say good night to you, was there anything you you wanted to say? Um, you know, uh, b- before before the end of our call. Yeah, um, I could suggest some some books. Um, okay. One 
One is by um, uh, Mary Daly, the first international wickedary of the English language. <laughs> and she has all these new words that she made. And there's one um, called um, by Susan Griffin, Women and Nature, the Roaring Inside Her. And that's about the abuse of women in nature. She just makes the perfect, you know, she just demonstrates perfectly that there's no division. Like women are the animals of the world, and us, we're all on the part of the animals under the, the boot of patriarchy. It's an excellent book. And then there, Mary Daly wrote Quintessence, which is also excellent. I mean, well, everything by Daly is excellent, so. Okay, and that's Daly, D, I think D-A-L-Y. D-A-L-Y. I don't think she has an E in the name, huh? Yeah, Mary Daly, D-A-L-Y. So I guess that's all I have to say, and I want to thank you a whole lot for having me on your show. It was great. Well, you know what? You keep doing what you're doing out there. You inspired me with your writing, and um, I hope you keep writing and you put it out there as many places as uh, as you can. And if you ever want to be a guest blogger on my blog, just uh, just pop me an email, and um, you know we'll do it because uh, you know this is good. This is good stuff, and we have to we have to share this with other women who are still in the bubble. Mhm. Yeah, they'll get it. They're coming along. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Well, well, thank you, thank you, Elaine, and um, yeah. you know, have a wonderful week, and um, and I guess I'll have to say good night. All right, good night, and thanks a lot. Okay, bye bye. Well, we are crossing the threshold into the latter part of the show, and um, I want to shout out to Holly. Uh, thanks for ordering the new book, uh, Voices of the Sacred Feminine. It's on its way to you tomorrow uh, when I make a run to the post office. And uh, if you other listeners out there would like to support my work and the show, you can uh, do one or more of several things. Uh, go to my website, KarenTate.com. It's been updated, so you want to take a look. I want to thank Gina for her uh, for for her incredible efforts to keep my uh, keep my web page uh, updated. She's done that in the last few days, uh, so you can go there and find out about the tour to. Um, a tour to Turkey and uh, lots of new stuff there. Uh, but once you go there, if you go to the Goddess Store page, you can make a donation of any amount using the button, uh, which is all the way down toward the bottom of the page. You can order one of my books. And, you know, um, if you order it from me, it's really best if you're in the United States uh, or the second best choice is a local bookseller. Uh, Both of those are better than Amazon uh, because Amazon keeps 70% of the profits. But if you're tight for cash, you know what? Just go ahead and go to Amazon. It's better that you have the book. Uh, than not have the book. Um, But, uh, yeah, uh, Amazon taking 70% of the profits leaves authors and publishers to split uh, the the meager crumbs. Um, Aren't monopolies and uh, predator capitalism grand? Uh, Well, I think you can see that probably, you know, none of us authors are getting rich doing this, um, but we're doing it to make the world a better place, not to not to make money. Uh, But I bet you didn't know um, how Amazon gouges uh, authors. And um, here's an excerpt from uh, from my new book, uh, Goddess Calling. Um, It's called Our Weapons Are Many. And this is in one of the readings. It says, um, Uh, Our weapons are many, and we need them all because patriarchy will not just roll over and die because we will it, pray for it, or think positive thoughts. 
Our books of knowledge are our weapons because knowledge is power. Has not patriarchy tried their best to keep knowledge of goddess and women's natural leadership and spiritual authority from us? Intuition is our weapon. Women's intu- women intuitively know how to birth life, nurture, and multitask. They are the glue keeping homes, businesses, and organizations going. If women stopped serv- serving the status quo, if they stopped volunteering tomorrow, how many would collapse? Our voice is our weapon. Has patriarchy not tried to make us content and satisfied being subservient and our power diminished? We must find our sacred rage and our sacred roar and let our wisdom and intellect reverberate out across the ethers to be heard by all. Our written word is our weapon, for the pen can be mightier than the sword. Each of you sitting here has changed her life not at the point of a dagger, but because of the information you have no doubt read or been taught. Our tenacity and strength are our weapons. Any woman who has birthed or raised a child, had a book published, started an organization, manifested a temple, they all know the strength, courage, and determination women possess. Remember, women, we do 80% of the work around the world, even if under patriarchy we only earn 20% of the assets. Our weapons are our innate ability to intuit, to love and nurture, to support our sisters, to tend and befriend in times of stress. We must begin to stand shoulder to shoulder, thinking of the us and the we, not the I and the me. Our weapon is the wisdom we embody and the power of the life-affirming creatrix, while patriarchy is the obsolete and forceful destroyer. We must remember who we are. That's my writing in um, Goddess Calling called uh, Our Weapons Are Many. I hope you enjoyed that. And I want to thank Trista for um, making a cute little picture and putting it with the words and uh, sending it around Facebook. Uh, I've really gotten good response from that. And uh, I want to say thanks uh, to Joe Carson and Dancing with Gaia for helping me keep Voices of the Sacred Feminine on the air. Uh, If you would, uh, please listen. The psychic state of the collective unconscious, which is that consciousness of the planet. It's called the chthonic mind, the mind of the earth. Our ancestors understood that the animal and divine were all connected, they were together, that there wasn't a separation. That's what we are trying to return to, is that sense that our animal nature is divine. It doesn't get in the way of the divine. It gets us closer to it. What's your idea of being fully alive as a human being? Because that's what's really spiritual. Write it down. Start writing your own Bible if you want. Set the sacred. And by that, I just mean sweaty, fun, happy sex. What you're hearing there is a little excerpt from Dancing with Gaia, uh, Joe Carson's film, and it explores the connection between Earth energy, sacred sexuality, and the goddesses Gaia. It features 15 visionaries who give us tools to feel the life of the planet within ourselves, and it comes with a great little 45-page mini-book, and the DVD and book are just $20. You can get your own copy at dancingwithgaia.com, dancingwithgaia.com. Uh, Thank you, Joe Carson. 
Um, well, uh, what's coming up for me really soon? Well, that would be exploring the many sacred sites that we once called Anatolia, Land of the Nourishing Mothers in Turkey. I'll be co-leading the tour with one of the foremost American authorities on Artemis of Ephesus. He's an archaeologist and a re- religion scholar and a great friend of mine, the supporter, Dr. James Reedfeld. We're taking only about 20 women and men on the journey, so the experience will be very personal as we go to different sacred sites of goddesses every day, often where tourists rarely tread, so we have a very private time at the sacred sites to absorb the energy and essence of those sacred sites of goddess, dedicated to uh, ones like Cabelli, Isis, Mary, Aphrodite, Artemis, Kubaba, just to name a few. And the Anatolian Museum, well, that is not to be missed, let me tell you. But neither is the sacred shopping, the rituals at the sites, experiencing the whirling dervishes and Turkish baths, You know, I really do believe uh, this itinerary we put together will be a journey of a lifetime. And it's not cheap, I will admit that. But you know what? It is well worth it, and we have priced it as low as we possibly can uh, and still have good accommodations and transportation. Uh, One good thing is Turkey's not on the euro yet, so once you're there, your money stretches uh, rather nicely. And uh, if you think you're interested, let me hear from you. Uh, And uh, like I said, my website now should have the link uh, to the itinerary and the pricing. Uh, So if you go to KarenTate.com, click on the button for the sacred tours, and I believe the link uh, will be there. If not, to get in touch with me, and I can uh, send you a link. All right, so I promised uh, you some other things tonight. Uh, Barbara uh, Walker sent me um, some uh, passages from the Bible that she calls uh, Bible Morality from the King James Original Version. Uh, I'll just uh, read you a few from a couple of the categories. Uh, this is from this is, comes under the uh, killing uh, category. Uh, Genesis 22:2 says God accepts human sacrificing. Uh, sacrifices, and actually Jesus said that later. Uh, Exodus 15.3, God is a God of war. Uh, Leviticus 20.10.13.27, you must kill adulterers, homosexuals, wizards, and spirit mediums. Uh, Leviticus 21.9, any priest's daughter who fornicates must be burned alive. Leviticus 24.16, blasphemers must be killed. Uh, those are just a couple on a whole long page about killing. Uh, There's actually two pages, two and a half pages on killing. On rape, um, uh, Numbers 31.18, God orders his warriors to kill every living, living thing in each captured city except the virgin girls who are to be raped and turned into sex slaves. According to verse 35, there were 32,000 virgin girls thus taken. Deuteronomy 21, 11, and 12 says, If a warrior likes the looks of a female war captive, he can take her to be one of his wives. Uh, Judges 5:30. The spoils of war include a damsel or two for every man. Uh, there's more of those under rape, but I'm going to move on to slavery. Um, Let's see, slavery, Uh, Exodus 21.4, a male slave may marry and have children and may go free after six years, but his family remains the property or hostages uh, of his master. Exodus 21.7, a man may sell his daughter as a sex slave. 
let me repeat that. Exodus 21.7, a man may sell his daughter as a sex slave. Uh, Leviticus 19.20, when a man has sex with a female slave, she must be scourged. Let me repeat that. Leviticus 19.20, when a man has sex with a female slave, she must be scourged. Um, Let's see. uh, Now, she's got a category here. Was Jesus ethical? I think these might surprise uh, some of us more than uh, some of the others. Um, Matthew uh, 5, verses 28 to 32 says, uh, Jesus says marriage to a divorcee is adultery, and a man who oogles a woman has already committed adultery, and that you must cut off your hand or pluck out your eye if it offends. Uh, Again, Matthew uh, Matthew 6, verses 19 and 34, Jesus says don't save any money and don't plan ahead. Uh, Matthew 10, verse 34, Jesus says he brings not peace on earth but a sword. Uh, Mark 11, verse 13, Jesus destroys a fig tree for not bearing figs out of season. Um, John uh, 15, verse 6, Jesus says anyone who doesn't believe in him must be burned. Uh, Women in the New Testament, Corinthians 11, verses 3 through 10, women are inferior because man was not created for woman, but woman was created for man. Every woman, while praying or prophesying, uh, must have her head covered because of the angels, meaning the spirits. Uh, it used to be believed that women's hair attracts spirits, uh, Barbara says. Uh, in 1 Timothy uh, 5, uh, verse 9, Paul says, The only woman acceptable by the counsel of elders or devout monogamous women over the age of 60. Uh, Ephesians 5, verse 22, Wives must submit to their husbands as they would to God. So there's more here, but I think that's quite enough. So uh, let's see. I want to... Um, share uh, this blog by Trista Hendren. Uh, She has a wonderful blog called uh, Over the Moon, Where the Divine Feminine Comes to Party. Uh, Trista is going to be on the show with me next week, uh, so please uh, tune in. She is the uh, author of the Girl God series. And uh, this latest uh, blog entry of hers is God is Not a Man, Seeing the Divine and the Goddess. Um, I'll read some parts of it. Trista says, uh, There is a wound in the world that is specific to women and girls. Many of us take a lifetime to figure out what it is grossly, what it is grossly unfortunate. You can't heal what you don't recognize. Every person is born of a woman, but somehow the, tradition creation, the traditional creation myth was turned around on its head. Um, Oh, you know what? I think I'm going to have to read this next time because I haven't printed it out properly. I apologize. You know, maybe it's meant that I share that while Trista is actually uh, with me here on the air. That actually makes more sense. Anyway, so till next week. Um, So um, there is another thing I wanted to share, and I want to thank Pat for sending me this. Um, Praise to Osset, O Great Goddess by John Beckett. I think because of everything going on out there, uh, as people 
you know, or naming ISIL, ISIS, um, you know, this is on the minds of, uh, of of those of us who revere the great goddess. Um, anyway, John Beckett, he wrote, uh, Praise be to Osset, O great goddess, divine mother, mighty healer, mistress of magic, you who learned the true name of Ra, you who restored Os- Osar to life, you who protected Heru and enabled him to claim the throne of Egypt. May you be praised in the old lands and in this new land, and may those who do evil in your holy name be struck down. Aset is better known as Isis. She is the sister and wife of Osar, better known as Osiris, and the mother of Heru, better known as Horus. She is also the sister of Nephthys and of Set. The common names of the Egyptian deities come to us from the Greeks who ruled Egypt from the time of Alexander the Great until they in turn were conquered by the Romans. The modern writing and pronunciation of their Egyptian names are approximations. No one knows exactly how they were pronounced. In our Egyptian temple rituals, we use both sets of names, the Egyptian names to honor the deities and the Greek names to make it easier for participants to follow. In recent months, the holy name of Isis has become associated with the name of the most vile terrorists known to humanity. Some call them Daesh, D-A-apostrophe-I-S-H, an Arabic acronym. Some call them the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant, or ISIL, and some just call them the Islamic State, or IS. Unfortunately, some call them the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria and use the English acronym ISIS. Call them what you will, I call them evil, and I don't use the word lightly. I know of no other words that accurately describe the intentional, unnecessary, and gleeful infliction of pain and suffering on other beings. As with so many terrorist groups, ISIL arose from a legitimate complaint. Quote, the corruption and brutality of political regimes in the region, most notably in Syria. Whether the West will make things better or worse by engaging ISIL militarily is another topic for another time. Whether ISIL is more or less evil than, uh, than our allies in Saudi Arabia, who beheaded eight people in August for crimes that included adultery, apostasy, and sorcery, is another topic for another time. This is not a political essay. Isaac Bonowitz said, Our gods are perfectly capable of defending themselves. His intention was to differentiate pagans from monotheists like ISIL, whose faith in their god is so weak they feel the need to punish blasphemy and impose orthodoxy by force. I am angered by the association of these evildoers with a loving and compassionate goddess, but that alone is no justification for the use of force. Gates to the Temple of Isis Pompeii. While I am a Druid who primarily worships and works with Celtic Celtic deities, I have a long relationship with Isis. I knew her from history and popular culture even before we performed our first Egyptian temple ritual in 2004. I have experienced her presence on numerous occasions. That experience and my very different experience with other Egyptian deities set me on the path toward polytheism. I am as saddened by the desecration of her name as I am when friends or great people have their names trashed and personal attacks and crude attempts at humor. I cannot stop ISIL from torture or murder, and I cannot stop the media from calling them ISIS. But I can remind everyone that this name properly belongs to a divine being who is is the antithesis of this gang of terrorists, and I can praise her by her older names, a name that is yet unprofaned. 
Praise be to Oset, O great goddess, divine mother, mighty healer, mistress of magic. May your power and beneficence be known and honored across this land and across the world. So, my dear listeners, I think I will leave you tonight with a tribute to uh, our dear Isis. And um, I'm going to find it here. And this is uh, by Diva Haley from her Sacred Alchemy album, and it's called Isis. So thank you for tuning in with me tonight. Uh, Remember, when you're out there talking, remember male speak when it comes from your lips or when it comes from the lips of others. Use it as a teaching moment uh, to try to set things right. Next week, uh, Patrick McCollum will be with me and Trista Hendren. So let's close tonight's show with Isis by Diva Haley. Good night and have a great week. Thank you for tuning in. Oh, and please remember, hit the follow button and become a friend of the show. Uh, the follow button should be right there, I think, at the, on the top left-hand side uh, of the page, uh, of, of my show page there. Thank you again, listeners. Your gas in my tank. Good night. Will you donate to the illusion of the ego? Are you ready to directly face the truth of your essential self? It is time to set yourself free.
claim your power now. Stand tall, priestess. 